Kyle Sondland and Herbert Konings are founding partners of Security Token Group. All opinions expressed by them or guests on this podcast are solely their opinions and do not represent the views of Security Token Group or its subsidiaries. You should not take any opinion expressed on the show as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow any investment strategy. This podcast is for informational purposes only. Security Token Show, episode 33. Welcome back, all of our beautiful listeners. My name is Kyle Sondland, and as always, I'm joined with my co-host, Herwig Konings. What are we talking about today? Hey, everybody, and I also want to welcome our new listeners. And for everybody this week, we're going to be talking about tokenized exchange-traded funds, which are publicly listed funds that represent a specific asset class. But of course, before we jump into that, we're going to kick off the show with our Companies of the Week, followed by our industry news segment, our STO updates, and our market activity review. So I'm going to dive right into it today, Herwig, and talk about my Company of the Week, this one being Red Swan. And Red Swan made headlines. They're a New York City-based firm, and they announced plans to tokenize billions of dollars in real estate, specifically $2.2 billion in commercial real estate. And their portfolio represents over 16 different commercial properties based in Austin, Texas, Houston, Texas, Brooklyn, New York, Oakland, California, and Ontario, Canada. And so what we're talking about here is $780 million worth of real estate that they're actually publicly fundraising for that is now available to investors in their pre-sale, while the company has another $4 billion in real estate in its tokenization pipeline. And so the firm is holding investors' funds in escrow, and they have plans to distribute shares in April. And so in addition, MarketWatch reports that Red Swan is also in the middle of becoming a registered investment advisor with the SEC that will allow them to manage the assets for its accredited investors. Again, it is accredited investors, presumably in the U.S., and in terms of international, there is no information yet. Red Swan does claim, in addition, that it has 30,000 accredited investors in its network, which is a huge huge network of investors and they may really be able to raise a ton of funds just from their own network in addition to the public sale and so on top of the benefits of, of a larger pool of investors for you know these real estate properties and in addition to allowing these investors to invest in real estate properties through fractionalized ownership which we've covered much in the past the firm also looks to use tokenization to provide additional liquidity for the owners of these real estate properties as well and so banks in, in traditional real estate financing really only allow up to about 50% leverage on a given asset. And Red Swan is allowing property owners to tokenize up to 90% of the net equity of their underlying property in order to, to raise those funds. They can get an additional 40% liquidity for their, their commercial real estate leveraging this tokenization, which for a property owner is, is a no-brainer. And then again, from the investor side, we already have covered many times why investors may be interested in buying fractions of a real estate property instead of having to put the capital up to buy their own. So this tokenization is provided by Polymath on the Ethereum blockchain via their ST20 protocol. So congratulations to Polymath for finding a high, high quality institutional issuer. And congratulations to Red Swan for, for really leveraging a huge real estate portfolio and, and, and entering into the tokenization foray. They will be using Prime Trust for their custody insuring up to $1 billion. If you're interested in checking out more, go to redswan.io, and they are already onboarding their interested investors. 
It's hard to miss the headlines on this one, Kyle. Oof. This is a huge deal. I'd almost say an easy pick for company of the week. I mean, Red brainer. Swan is doing huge things here. I think there's probably less than 10 issuance platforms, by the way. So congrats, as you said, to Polymath that probably have a, a pipeline of over a billion dollars worth of STOs. <laughs> 10 might be generous, to go yeah. With it. Yeah, and, and they mentioned here, you know, you said another $4 billion to go behind it. I mean, this is awesome. It's a very institutional firm focused on what we've talked about in the past is probably going to be one of the most sought after uh, asset classes to be tokenized, at least in the near future. And and they're clearly doing it in a, in a very big way. So congrats to everybody involved in this STO. This is groundbreaking. This might be the biggest news of the year so far. Very, very excited for the Red Swan offering. I'm sure we'll continue to see coverage on this as it progresses. You'll get all the updates as we get closer and closer. But Herwig, what were you looking at this week? Well, you know, Kyle, I always value big institutional players bringing validation to the security token industry because they carry a lot of weight and they prove the validation for the space to inspire entrepreneurs and others to innovate in the space and bring them the solutions that they're, they're looking for. And we have a similar situation here where I, I bet actually many of the folks listening have never even heard of this, this institution. It's called the Bank of International Settlements or the BIS which manages, by the way, close to $400 billion, okay? So no small bank. And the bank is winning my Company of the Week award this episode because they just took their quarterly report and basically turned it into a 130-plus page report about the future of finance, and the focus is, of course, blockchain. Now, just because they won doesn't imply that their report is just cheerleading for the industry. <laughs> it, it positively spells out the potential, of course, and it does specifically address central bank stablecoins, cross-border peer-to-peer payments, and, of course, tokenized securities. Interestingly, the report acknowledges that 17 different central banks are currently exploring issuing a digital currency pegged to their native currency, quite a large number. The report goes on to point out that not a single one of these projects is aimed at cross-border payments, which traditionally, Kyle, as we know, is a heralded use case for blockchain technology. Interestingly enough, they actually do cite that Libra may actually be responsible for putting the pressure on central banks to evaluate the technology in the first place. And finally, the BIS research team also addresses tokenization, but recognizes specifically many challenges, including the potential that institutional market participants might not want to move to shorter settlement cycles, as this could increase liquidity requirements and give market makers less time to source the cash or securities needed for settlement. So, of course, we're talking here about a public and institutional market's perspective. In fact, they go on to say that traders are attuned to the sluggish settlement cycles that have resulted from these issues, mired in hurdles and intermediaries and liquidity management concerns that are already in place. And I don't think they're wrong, Kyle. Adoption is going to take a long time, and the technology will massively disrupt the traditional way of clearing and settlement and trading and being constrained in the first place by these liquidity limitations. I believe that all the institutions, investors, traders, issuers, and asset managers that are willing to pioneer and evolve with this technology have the potential to redefine the way their professions work for future generations and markets. Nothing is spelled out in this industry today, and no amount of research, in my opinion, can accurately determine how the disruption will actually happen. But what is clear from the BIRS report is that the governments and institutions all around the world are exploring blockchain-based financial infrastructure and moving forward with pilots and projects. Highly recommend you go check out the report if you're the research type. 
And Kyle, I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are on this. I'm really excited about many of these jurisdictions exploring the opportunities for tokenization in any way, whether it's creating their their currencies or, or even just trying to leverage cross-border payments or any of these different pieces. It's, it's really, really exciting to see many different countries exploring this. A little bit of background that I found from another article was that we have countries in the report, including Iceland, Norway, Brazil, Israel. We've got Denmark, Switzerland, potentially even countries like Canada, the UK, and Singapore. So there's a lot of different countries all around the world. This is not just the EU or just just South America or wherever. It's countries all around the world exploring these opportunities. We know that I'm sure the U.S. has something that they're looking at as well that maybe wasn't mentioned here. And it's exciting. It's really, really exciting. There are many more. In fact, last week we talked about South Korea, Central Bank entering the fray. We know that the Bank of China has also been very interested in this. Of course. You know, again, from a validation from an industry perspective, I think this is a pretty big deal. Absolutely. And with that, I think we can jump right into the industry news. We got quite a big week last week. So I'm going to jump right into starting off with the Malta Financial Services Authority responding to over six months of market feedback from participants. Our early podcast listeners may recall back in July last year that MFSA came out with an STO consultation paper to solicit market feedback, having essentially a host of questions for anyone to to respond to. And now they've released the report and the results are definitely worth reviewing in detail, especially if you are interested in issuing an STO in Malta. The market feedback was mostly reciprocated by the MFSA, signing off, for example, on a standard STO definition uniform with traditional securities definitions, and also support for additional disclosures. But we're concerned that that there may need to be some changes to EU law governing central securities depository rules, which if you're not familiar with a CSD, they're basically a custodian in the EU acting as the intermediary to create a central or one system for clearing and settlement for various participants. And so it'll be very interesting to see if the MFSA is able to get some influence within the EU to make those changes, if other countries around the world respond to that in a similar way. But uh, this is definitely an interesting report, again, if you're, you're interested in the region. Next up, we have an update on the Ripple class action lawsuit. For those of you not familiar with the significance of this lawsuit, I highly recommend you check out episode eight of the Security Token Show, which covers the ramifications in detail as the main topic. I'll give a quick summary, though, anyway, because I know we have a lot of new listeners to the show, Kyle. So Ripple is the company that created XRP. It's the third largest cryptocurrency by market cap. The company has been embroiled in a legal battle where token buyers are claiming the Ripple company sold them unregistered securities, making the buyers actually investors. In other words, the XRP ICO was actually a non-compliant STO, and the the plaintiffs are suing for... um, to be remedied. Of course, if the courts agree with this, then it could also mean a new precedent for all other ICOs and many more cryptocurrencies facing further repercussions. It will also potentially spell doom for the XRP crypto if it were to actually be reclassified to a security. So naturally, the company has been trying to throw this case out among other reasons, the, the, the biggest one being the fact that statute of limitations has run out on their, their previous sale and the plaintiffs have no case. Well, apparently the judge doesn't seem to agree because they have ruled that the lawsuit will move forward. Ripple itself has been dealing with this since last year and has been mostly, you know, not too focused on it. We'll be sure to update you on what happens next now that they are going to be forced to deal with it. This is quite a 
situation here. It's been a couple years now. There's a lot of a lot of red flags in this case. We'll, we'll have to see. There's just a ton of selling. I think that Brad Garlinghouse came out and said that they they make a lot of their money by selling XRP, which certainly is a is not a great look for the company if, if that's you know how the the yeah, I don't know. Do you remember a couple of weeks ago when that scathing report came out, basically just <laughs> analyzing exactly what Kyle just described here, saying, hey, here are some directors selling their their shares here. And at certain, you know, yeah, let's, let's call points. it interesting time. <laughs> <laughs> so, hey, best of luck to Ripple. We certainly are not lawyers ourselves and, and we're not here to judge anyone. But uh, but hopefully that gets resolved quickly and we can move forward with with more productive news. Absolutely. Regardless, it's it will be a potentially impactful case, uh, again, potentially. Last week, we also saw a, a lot of infrastructure investments and acquisitions. First up, we have Investory, which is a self-described private capital markets platform, which was acquired by Ava Labs, which is a modular decentralized services platform helping clients launch private enterprise blockchains as well as tokenize assets. The amount itself uh, was undisclosed, and the focus of the acquisition is definitely geared towards the talent. I couldn't find anything out about Investory other than it was started sometime in 2019. Ava Labs, though, is a little bit more established, having started a year earlier and raising already $6 million in outside wow. financing. They're based out of SF. The firm was founded by a Cornell computer science professor. Uh, so you know, let's talk a little bit more about the talent as well. Well, the first one is John Woot, who's the founder and CEO of Investory, but I think more importantly, the previous CEO for SharesPost's Digital Asset Group. Wow. And also, prior to that, he established Sherview Capital, which raised investments for Blackstone, among others. Also joining the team is Investory's VP of Business Development, Lydia Chu, who previously worked at Morgan Stanley and Credit Suisse. So hopefully we're going to get some great announcement either on STOs or new projects launching on Ava Labs. And thanks to this acquisition and experienced talent, I'm sure we're going to see a lot of great things. Congrats to Ava Labs. Congrats to Investory for the acquisition. And hopefully it's a, it's a new player in the space that we can see make some serious moves in 2020. Seems like they got the capital, the talent, and everything else to go with it. Perfect combo. We also saw the Stellar Development Foundation, which is the investment arm of a public blockchain, Stellar, which made a 715000 investment, which was, of course, in their native currency, Stellar Lumens. Uh, but that is the U.S. dollar equivalent. And it's an issuance platform, DSTOQ, which is domiciled in Liechtenstein and already leverages the Stellar protocol to create security tokens that users can buy and sell peer-to-peer. The firm specifically touts the value proposition of being able to tokenize shares of Apple and Google and offer them to investors around the world. Now, we did see this attempted before, uh, not successfully by the DX exchange last year, as it was forced to shut down with bankruptcy and dealing with issues with the SEC. We'll see if DSTOQ is able to navigate those waters differently. D-stock. D-stock. We also saw the Swiss International Exchange make its second investment for the year, this time in a crypto asset exchange called OmniX, which will be responsible for creating the infrastructure to bring both cryptocurrencies and SIX listed assets to the Swiss Digital Exchange, which is a platform hopefully slated to launch later this year. The SIX is focused on institutional adoption, and it appears that the, the SDX platform will now be catered towards both security tokens as well as cryptocurrencies based on this investment. Hmm. We see that happen sometimes with the security token and cryptocurrency intermix. And while maybe the technology is the same, it, it does kind of seem like a slightly head-scratching move just because 
the compliance requirements and, and the underlying asset itself, they're just so different that it, just from a fundamental definitions perspective, that it, it, it I don't know, we'll see, we'll see if it works. Yeah, there's a, a lot of regulation issues all around, and there's a lot of, you know, concerns about how we're going to regulate, you know, digital assets and the like in the future. So to be both a security token exchange as well as focusing on the cryptocurrency landscape does seem to be, like, tall order to me. You're but putting out a lot, of fi- a lot of fires between both of those different yeah. – <laughs> they're, they're, they're fighting their own battles Absolutely. a little, you know. But it's certainly not new. We see T0 launch their, their app uh, focused totally on cryptocurrency, right. and we, we've seen a lot of other firms do it. And, of course, the SIX itself is a national – very large institutional stock exchange. So they certainly have the resources, hopefully, to, to do it successfully. And certainly now it looks like with OmniX's help. Best of luck to them. This next story hits a little closer to home for me. For all of you U.S. listeners out there, you may find my name uncommon, but for someone with a perfectly normal English accent, you may be a little confused. That's because I was originally born in Belgium, but before moving to the U.S., where I've now lived for 20 years. And now there's news that a firm, though, based out of Amsterdam, Firm 24 is what they're called, manages 35,000 small to medium-sized enterprise clients across the Netherlands, Luxembourg, and, of course, Belgium. So this is otherwise known as the Benelux region. And it appears that Firm 24 is in a great position and is very positive about the adoption of tokenization as they claim to expect 10,000 firms of their 35,000 to start using tokenization this year. The, that's, a, that's a lot. The company is leveraging the Dusk network to launch their STOs. So if there's even a small order of accuracy to this prediction, that means we can expect a lot of STOs from the region, including hopefully, Kyle, some great Belgian companies. Absolutely. Maybe a waffle business. <laughs> Next up, we saw tokenization platform Polymath announce a partnership with Equa, which describes itself as an all-in-one integrated technology platform focused on streamlining systems, agreements, and ownership rights. This includes digitized trackable workflows with automated signing, voting rights tech, execution of ownership rights, and of course, a certified immutable record-keeping system. Equa will be available in the Polymath service provider marketplace for SC20 issuers to leverage. And if you're looking and researching various blockchains to that the power various security tokens, then I highly recommend reading this article by William McKenzie, who gives an overview of the success of Tezos in the SCO ecosystem. Notably, they recognize Securitize, T0, TokenSoft, Fundament, and Globacap as issuance platforms developing on top of the blockchain. And they also recognize some big issuers like BDG, BTG Pactual, Elevated Returns, and Andrew Capital Silicon Valley Coin as issuers leveraging an aggregate what is billions of dollars worth of STOs in the works and many more issuers to go along with it. So again, if you're interested in researching more about Tezos and at least getting an update on, on how they're doing, this is a great article. On top of that, if you're interested in learning about any of those companies that Herwig mentioned, we've covered every single one in our podcast throughout the various weeks and months. We, we do try to cover everything that happens in the industry and you better believe that we've got them all. And if you're specifically focused on issuance platforms, we, of course, did an episode on those, too. So if you want to go and check out episode 26 and learn more about those, definitely do that. We're going to move on now to uh, some interviews here where we saw, you know, there's also a great article to go along with it uh, of an overview about not only just the platform, but launching an STO on Polybird. 
And the Polybird team did, did, I think, a really great job because they don't just talk about the technology, but they do talk a lot about the regulations and the various restrictions and rules you're going to need to follow and really kind of offer a, a nice review of all of the different steps an issuer needs to go through uh, in the STO process, specifically in the United States. So I think, you know, this, this is a really good article. But additionally, the CEO, Harish Gupta, talks about direct listings as the next big thing and more in a great interview on leap rate. So definitely, I, I found that a very interesting one. I think direct listings are going to be an interesting trend line moving forward. Go check out Harish's thoughts there. And we also saw the German security token infrastructure continuing to grow the ecosystem there because we got another great interview with the CEO of Capilendo, who's Christopher Gratz. Capilendo already successfully issued an STO, actually, at the end of 2019 and raised $2.4 million. The offering was solicited to their network of 40,000 retail investors, mm. and the tokens were issued on Stellar. Mm. They claim to be the first service in Germany focused on small to medium enterprises with, with tokenization services. And, of course, actually, that first offering that they did was a bond for a restaurant. So it's, it's true to what they're saying. Other issues platforms have successfully issued in Germany as well, including Bitbomb. So, you know, definitely go read that article if you're interested in the EU and Germany or, or any SME kind of tokenization. That's available on Crowdfund Insider. And last interview we found, we, we uh, have Matthew Unger, who is continuing the Securities.io interview series. And, um, you know, he's the CEO of iComply. Uh, and iComply is also an STG partner. They offer an end-to-end -end platform to fundraise on. Another industry leader sharing their thoughts. Definitely go check that article out as well. Those are all great interviews. I want to interject really quickly. You may remember that Capilendo, they raised a bond for a restaurant. And anybody listening that may recognize that phrasing, it actually was Losteria, which is a pizza place and a pizza restaurant with hundreds of locations across Europe. We covered that one in another episode. So congrats to Capulendo. Their CEO is looking to scale that operation and continue uh, to, to launch offerings moving forward. So they started with Losteria, and they're going to continue doing that moving forward in Kyle, 2020. this is why you're one of the most plugged-in guys <laughs> in the STO industry. You know, I had no idea that was the, the connection. You know, I was surprised that we didn't cover it, but of course we covered it. And of course we got uh, back it. You in better the day, believe so it. So thanks for connecting the dots there, <laughs> if you will. And moving on to some events, there is a Securities Finance Technology Symposium of 2020, which basically reads to me Security Token Technology Symposium of 2020, but it's not the case. There's, of course, a lot of other cool stuff going on. It's coming up on May 7th in London. There's going to be a lot of terrific exhibitors, institutions, and startup incumbents there if you want to go check that out. And then, of course, there's Security Token Realized San Francisco event on May 28th. You can learn more about any of the news topics, any of the articles that I discussed, any of the events, and anything else we discuss in the future, all either in the description of wherever you're listening to on the podcast or directly from the source at stomarket.com. With that, Kyle, let's move on to the STO update. Well done, Herbie. That was quite a mouthful. You just crushed it. Um, moving into STOs, we actually only have one piece of STO news. It's an update from a fan favorite, Zion Energy. Zion Energy announced a new acquisition. This is their fifth acquisition, again, using their native security token, Zion Coins. 
And so for those who don't remember, because it has been a few a few weeks since we've me- mentioned them last, Zion Energy issued a security token backed by their asset portfolio. And so they actually have a, a portfolio of assets that are for mining and drilling natural gas and, and energy resources. So they, they have these oil plants, and, and I'm sorry, my terminology is not great. But this time, the firm acquired royalty interest in the Bayou Star Energies. Lily Young Well, and that's located in Jefferson Davis Parish in Louisiana. So this is a, another oil drilling well, and they've, they've now acquired an interest in that using their native Zion coins. Geologist Michael Crabtree of Bayou Star Energy has determined that the well's output is around 288 barrels of oil per day, and their estimated reserves are around 250,000 barrels of oil for this specific property and that their their production will begin in the next two months. And so David Greenberg, who is the chairman of Zion Energy, did comment on this acquisition saying, quote, the overriding royalty interest we have acquired will provide the company with our first U.S. dollar distributions from the ownership of oil production purchased with Zion Coins. This acquisition shows the industry's confidence in Zion Energy's efforts to tokenize oil and gas assets. So this is a pretty big deal, Herwig. They, they are essentially issuing these tokens that are backed by their portfolio and using these tokens to, to get more and more asset owners on board, building a, a, a large real estate portfolio. This is now their fifth oil and natural gas mining and, and drilling property. I think they've got a couple in Texas, a couple in a bunch of different places. And now, as, as David Greenberg mentioned, this will be their first ability to actually distribute dividends of U.S. dollars based off of the oil that they're pulling out of the ground from the Zion coins, from the real estate properties they've purchased. This is an exciting use case. We'll have to see how this goes moving forward. I mean, Alistair and David are, are definitely some of the most active guys in the STO energy space, I'd say. They're, they're trailblazing with what they're doing here. Definitely appreciate all these updates on, on their, their portfolio, if you will, that they're growing. And it seems to, to be growing pretty fast. There is no information, though, on... on the liquidity of these Zion coins. I, I, I'm not able to find a ton of information on where one could buy or sell these things. I'm not sure where they raised the money, from whom. Maybe it was a private raise and they're keeping it all kind of in the family. I'm not sure. Um, definitely, you know, I, I have a good conversation with them and I'm trying to trying to connect with them again if you're interested. Um, and definitely send me any info if anybody has any more information on Zion and, and what that market looks like. Moving forward into the market update, we have, first off, a report, this one from Security Token Market. We published their our first monthly market report on Monday, or first, I don't know why I said that, the February market report on Monday, detailing all of the trading activity of the secondary market over the past month. And this report details all nine live security tokens and explores the market health, as well as each individual token's performance. So if you're interested in digging into the research and the hard numbers on some of these tokens, aside from just what we talk about here on the podcast, definitely go check that report out. Some of the info there might surprise you. The volume was significantly up from what we saw in January. Those monthly reports are extremely useful. I know I've gotten a lot of good feedback from everybody who I share it with, Kyle. You and your team are doing a great job on those. If you want just a quick monthly update, you can subscribe to the Security Token Group blog on Medium to get those updates to your inbox. Absolutely. So let's talk about the market activity this week or over the past week. First off, we have our total STO market cap. It's sitting right around $60 million. 
which is up from about 57 last week, but, right. but nothing that's too significant, but a good little bit of movement. Up is good. Um, we do have some exciting news from T-Zero, which, again, is usually our, our main focus as of, of still. And the exciting news is actually coming from stomarket.com, where we source all of our pricing data. If you want to see any of this data in, in, in a programmatic fashion, go on stomarket.com. You can see the, the market caps, the open, close, high, lows, volumes, all that stuff. And the great news is that with, with the F STO market, Herman, when we launched that, it was all these secondary pricing data was collected from our in-house research team and, and compiled daily, which was super useful because none of this information was available publicly. But fortunately, we've now been able to start to scale this operation and implement APIs and, and programmatic pricing updates. And so the great news about T0 is that it's not only our most active token and the one with the highest volume in the security token industry, but now it is also updated hourly in real time on the site. So from 9.30 to 4 p.m. when the, the market is trading, you will be able to get hourly programmatic updates on T0 to see how that price changes throughout the day and can continue to monitor that over time. So that's pretty exciting. When we look at the price over the past week, the token did have a pretty steady decline throughout Monday through Wednesday before bouncing 35% on Thursday. Friday was then also down, um, but it actually closed at about $1.65 on Monday and March 2nd. So the, the price is sitting right around $1.65 right about now, which is a good price. It's still holding that, that, that line I, again, we're, we we go back about it every week, but there you know there was some good positive momentum as T Zero announced their investor letter talking about new assets they were looking to bring on board, and we're still anxiously awaiting additional assets live on their platform. We do have, I think, in a week the Overstock Digital Dividend, which will be issued. So that will be a second token potentially once that gets issued, either next week or the following. So that will certainly be something to follow. And potentially they have another one in the pipeline for March. On top of that, we don't have a whole lot of other news from from the the token front. It was a uh, you know it was a pretty quiet week for for the rest of the industry. Before we end the podcast, we have our main topic. We, we talked about it in the beginning, tokenized ETFs. And this is inspired by an article on, uh, on Coindesk here from the crypto industry. It is a company called Arca Funds who wants to launch a tokenized T-bond. And so I wanted to detail this a little bit and, and then, you know, Herwig, hear your thoughts on this. And... Listeners, you may have heard some various attempts to launch a Bitcoin ETF and some of these other kind of crazy tokenized options before, but on, on the news of ARCA funds, I think it does make sense to talk about some of these tokenized products and, and the steps they've taken as well as some of the future outlook for tokenized public products. So as described in the article from Coindesk, which is in the description, just like anything that we've referenced in the podcast, the goal for ARCA funds is to tokenize a portfolio of U.S. Treasury bonds that they can then sell to the public. And treasury bonds are some of the safest investments in the world because they're bonds sold by the U.S. government and are rated AAA by all of the, the world's rating agencies. And these bonds are highly sought after by institutions and governments all around the world because of their long-term stability and, and the opportunities to de-risk your investments. However, treasury bonds are not as easily accessible as buying stocks or, or some of these other assets. And in fact, in many cases, you can't actually even buy them from a broker. And 
for international investors and central banks especially, there's even more hurdles for, for these firms looking to de-risk their investments, especially with sizable investments in these asset classes. So firms like ARCA Funds have created products that look to leverage tokenization to track and manage these assets. And so by working with the SEC, the firm is looking to list their treasury-backed fund on the NYSE or NASDAQ, which would then be available for international jurisdictions via the OTC markets. And so when we take a look at launching an exchange-traded fund, it's actually a, a, a relatively new concept, very new, if you will, because the first one only went live in 1993. And so as with all publicly traded assets, ETF creation falls under heavy regulation and scrutiny from regulators. And they, they traditionally have held a very skeptical view on ETFs for new or obscure assets. The process for filing for an ETF consists of, of filing forms N2 and N8 with the SEC, which, which is not only just filing the forms, but it consists of many, many months of discourse between the issuer as well as the regulators, in this case being the SEC. And likely a lot of money towards attorneys as well. A ton of legal fees as well. Yeah, that goes without saying, right? And so they look at a variety of factors, the SEC that is, to, to determine if the fund is fit to list as an ETF. But the most relevant ones to talk about today for a tokenized fund consists of the reliability of the technology. So ARCA Funds was actually able to avoid SEC criticism regarding the quality of the assets because we're talking about one of the safest investment vehicles and a backbone of the U.S. economy. However, many risk factors do persist regarding the unproven blockchain technology at this scale. We've never before used blockchain to transfer assets of billions of dollars before. So to, ask, to answer these questions, the firm is working with San Francisco-based issuance platform TokenSoft and will be leveraging their institutional-grade ERC-1404 protocol, which we've discussed on the podcast many times, which enables shareholders to interoperate with their entire Ethereum ecosystem with the added functionality allowing the fund to enforce transfer restrictions for the R-Coin tokens, as they will be called. These tokens also, it's noted, can be redeemed for cash on a quarterly basis. So potentially this will be the kind of the medium of exchange, and then every quarter you'll be able to exchange that back into cash. I don't want to distract from this the topic, the main topic here, Kyle, but I do want to mention that I also was reading that the executives behind the ARCA fund even see blockchain as such a useful solution that they one day see their ARC coin tokens possibly being used as a way to pay for goods and services. Wow. Of course, there is not meant to be a lot of volatility behind this because, again, it's pegged to basically AAA T-bonds. Interesting. And then I guess, yeah, it would pay off the... the that's fascinating. Very, very fascinating. Like I said, then it would pay off dividends based off of the, the coupon or if it's, if it's a zero coupon, then it would just... Yeah, huh, fascinating. That's that's I guess something for the future if they can get this passed. Let's 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 get Indeed. that passed first. Exactly. It seems like they got bigger goals than just listing this ETF. <laughs> yeah, I agree great. with you. You know, pretty, pretty big, big goal, goal just to list the ETF. So the filing there. also noted risk factors such as limited liquidity in the tokenized markets compared to traditional markets, which is understandable, and it might lead to higher price volatility just because of the fact that that there's a premium or discount applied. In addition to risks such as a failure in the Ethereum network or slowdown that we've seen in the past. And to me, Kyle, that's really the only reason why I see the SEC would reject this ETF. It's obviously not about the underlying asset. It's more about the fact that can blockchain or tokenization create new uh, control issues, volatility issues, other issues that the SEC hasn't been able to 
fully consider, and therefore, you know, that's, that could possibly be the only reason that I see anyway uh, that would, you know, scare the SEC and prevent the listing uh, from occurring. Yeah, I totally agree, and, and it, it's, ARCA Funds clearly is aware of, of some of those risk factors, and I think they did a good job of noting that in, in their filings. And then when we look at the case of a Bitcoin ETF or something like that, there's been a constant back and forth with the SEC and many of these issuers with the goal of making Bitcoin investments accessible to the public outside of clunky wallets and the solutions that, that have been, been tried before. But so far, each and every attempt has been denied, totally denied, due to the lack of clarity regarding the risks of market manipulation of Bitcoin and, and also enforcement, according to the SEC. So with Treasury bonds, you have none of those asset risks, just as you had pointed out. So instead, you're, you're, you're pushing the SEC to allow for tokenization as more of the infrastructure behind the asset, allowing for, for a, an ease of use and transfer between investors. So, Herwig, you know, do you see this as the first step towards institutional tokenization and adoption? It's a great question, uh, definitely one that you kind of have to analyze. You know, let's say we took a spectrum of, of ETFs from a risk perspective, as we pointed out, T-notes are considered highly secure, non-volatile, liquid, and, you know, you really can't find a better uh, asset uh, out there. So therefore, there's a really low chance of market manipulation risk. Now, if we go over to the other side of the spectrum, we would see assets with a high risk of market manipulation, usually due to lack of infrastructure, a lack of disclosures, and the lack of ability to enforce and regulate the asset. You know, this, this concept of an ETF doesn't just apply to Bitcoin. It's been tried with startups. It's been tried with penny stocks and many other, you know, as you mentioned, obscure or new use cases. And this is a, a real issue to the SEC. Their only job is to protect the public. And so this is their way of controlling to make sure that this is this ETF is a safe investment for the retail public. So if you're asking me, is this the first step of institutional tokenization adoption? Well, I think we're going to see that in many, many forms and use cases as we talked about across the show. But if I had to rephrase your question to say, is this the first step towards tokenized ETFs? Then I would say absolutely, because from the SEC's perspective, if an ETF based on T-notes can't be tokenized, what asset could be tokenized in an ETF that was tokenized today? So basically what I'm trying to say, if they end up rejecting the ARCA funds ETF, it will be interesting to see why the SEC said they rejected it to get a clue as to what is needed for tokenization infrastructure to be robust enough for the SEC to start approving a tokenized ETF. And once we see that sort of T, T uh, uh, bond ETF approved that's tokenized, I'm sure that will start to pave the way slowly for more tokenized ETFs across that spectrum. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's fascinating. I like what they're trying to do here because they're almost trying to burn the candle from the other end. When you look at a Bitcoin ETF, you're trying to apply traditional ETF structure to a digital asset. This, in this case, they're trying to apply a traditional asset and leverage this technology to do it. And it'll be interesting to see how the SEC responds because the they can't just kind of copy and paste the same rejection no. for this because it's a totally different set of rules here. Um, now they really have to, to set firm on how they feel about blockchain technology and a bunch of these pieces. I can see where their trepidation comes from because it is a, a serious kind of genie out of the bottle effect that once Absolutely. you allow one, it, the whole thing blows up. Um, and so I'm, I'm fascinated to see how this goes. One thing's for sure, unfortunately, it does seem like they tend to take forever 
in this process. Like every time one of these firms says they're close, it means that they're going to get another round of feedback from the SEC and it's going to take another eight months before they can file again and, and, and hear back again. Um, it is relatively unclear to me and I think it's unclear to a lot of people what exact boundaries the SEC has. It seems like they can kind of just keep indefinitely pushing this this back and giving more feedback. So we'll see. Um, I, I have a lot of hope, but, uh, you know, I think that that we know better than to, to get too excited yet. Regardless, I love the I love the strategy here, and I'm excited to see what happens moving forward. Yeah, I think you gave a great summary there. At the end of the day, the BTC ETFs are about validating the Bitcoin asset class. In this case, we're talking about using tokenization for an ETF, an entirely different scenario. So very curious to see how the SEC eventually, as you said, responds. <laughs> so we will be sure, of course, to give that update on the show. So keep on listening. Hope to see you next week. And of course, thanks for listening. Episode 33.